Welcome to the Rural Radio Network and welcome to the Midday Program. I'm Dirk Christensen and welcome to the information segment here in the middle part of your day as we cover everything going on in the uh, ag world, business, the weather. We've got it all for you here and we're going to start it all off here with a big expansion that's been announced in eastern Nebraska with uh, Jesse Harding. That's right. Going on today, Governor Pete Ricketts is in Blair because Novazymes is expanding their facility there in Blair. It'll be a $36 million facility expansion that they're doing, and our very own Bruce Gorder is there. For the 1219, Dewey Nelson is joined with Jason Ladiman. He is the director of Water Street Solutions. Their topic today is part two of what to consider as you make equipment decisions. For the newsmaker, Susan Littlefield is joined with Representative Mike Conaway, who talks about his fresh frustrations, goals, and must-haves in the next farm bill. And that's really where agriculture is starting to focus on, is that 2018 farm bill. And then for the 117, Susan Littlefield is going to be joined with Golden Harvest agronomist Dave Schleich, who talks about some of the issues with this year's planting and what we've seen thus far. Okay, very good. We'll look forward to all of that. Thank you, Jesse. You're welcome. We have uh, Jason Jorgensen over here. Not a lot here in the middle part of the week. Everything is gearing up for the weekend, I guess. That's right. Busy week for high school sports across the region. District golf is wrapping up today, so decent day for the kids to mm-hmm. get those district meets in. And, of course, the NSAA state track and tennis tournaments get underway uh, later on uh, this week. And the girls' state soccer tournament Wraps up tonight in Omaha. There were a couple of good games last night as the Boys State Tournament came to an end, so we'll touch on that. Also, it is a busy week in NAIA sports Mm -hmm. as the national tournaments are taking place for baseball and softball. Teams of regional note. Uh, We'll give you the lowdown on how Hastings College in Concordia fared yesterday. And the sputtering Cubs try to get back on track tonight when they host Cincinnati as they open up a 10-game homestand. It has not been clear sailing for the club Cubs like a lot of people thought it would be after they finally broke through and won last year. So. Yeah. Wait, they're acting like the Cubs? True, Jesse. <laughs> but you have a lot of Cub fans all worried, biting their nails. Really? I mean, what do you want? He's just got done winning one. It took a long time to get that one. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah. You know, who knows how long number two will go. My guess is that as the summer goes on, things will improve and they will hit their stride and they will be just fine. Yeah. Just like everyone was worried about the Cleveland Cavaliers until the NBA playoffs started and then they decided to flip the switch. Well, let's just hope they didn't, you know, start that decades-long clock mm-hmm. again. Yeah. That's that, a long That time would be so Cubs for them. <laughs> <laughs> long time not to, not to do it this year <laughs> That's right. after everything came together last year. Also in sports, Willie, we'll tell you about a former college head coach who has paid a whole lot of money for mediocre results at oh Notre Dame and Kansas. All right. Bob Brogan is over here on the sports desk. Stocks are I'm lower sorry. in midday trading the on business Wall desk. Street. <laughs> I didn't mean to corner you there. I, it, uh, no, it's uh, got sports uh, on the mind. Sports is business. Business is business. Um, everything <laughs> else is, is business. Yeah, it's all I, kind of. I'm sorry to have interrupted. No, it's that's fine. I'm you know, a lot of folks are are you know wondering what the stock market's going to do today. It's, stocks are mostly lower. Uh, U.S. housing starts fall in April and Philadelphia suing Wells Fargo and we're still trying to find those guys behind that ransomware bug so that's what's going on. 
Ag Weather brought to you by Coleman Repair. We bring in Paul Perkins, and it looks like we've got all the ingredients for something that we may not want. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another severe threat for tonight, and actually the severe threat tonight is greater than what we saw yesterday, uh, and especially as you headed to eastern areas of southeast Nebraska and to central and east Kansas. Now farther south, towards the Oklahoma and Texas Panhandle, they are now in a moderate risk of severe storms. We do have an enhanced risk over southeast Nebraska and central and east Kansas, a slight risk for severe storms in much of Nebraska and western Kansas. Temperatures though today on the warmer side, once again, warmer than normal. That's for one more day as the cold front starts to get closer. Low pressure tonight over eastern Colorado, getting stronger for another likely chance of thunderstorms late in the day into tonight. Now, severe storms likely with these systems, damaging winds, large hail, and heavy rain, a possibility. Even an isolated tornado is possible. Once again, we have the slight risk for severe storms in most of Nebraska and western Kansas. A greater risk or enhanced risk covers southeast Nebraska and central and east Kansas. And currently, that enhanced risk is along and south of a line from Columbus to Aurora to Hastings, Franklin, and Phillipsburg. That's been moving back and forth a little bit. Earlier, they had that a little bit to the east. Way earlier this morning, it was a lot farther to the west. But right now, the enhanced risk continues to be from Columbus to Aurora, Hastings, Franklin, and Phillipsburg, and points to the south. Temperatures tomorrow look to be cooler behind this system. We'll still see some thunderstorms on the backside of this system. Then we'll be in between systems as we head towards tomorrow night. Another area of low pressure tracking onto the plains for a likely chance of just some rain mainly and a low severe weather threat for Thursday into Friday. And that's even if we see any severe weather. Mainly we are looking at the chance of just rain, not even thunderstorms. The most likely time for seeing some rain in our area Thursday night and Friday. Still some lingering conditions for rain on into Friday night, but it looks like Saturday should be mainly dry, and those dry conditions definitely return by Sunday as high pressure settles in. Another system by Sunday night into Monday brings bring some more rain and thunderstorms. In our long term, chances very good, especially early on. Temperatures will be cooler than normal Sunday through Memorial Day in Nebraska and Kansas. It wouldn't be Memorial Day in Nebraska and Kansas without some cooler temperatures. No, it really wouldn't. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And once again, it uh, looks like that's going to be the possibility, but the odds are not as great of cooler than normal temperatures towards Memorial Day as they are coming up this week. Near normal to slightly above normal precipitation expected in Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through Memorial Day. Not going to be a big washout. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the upper 50s across the Panhandle. Most soil temperatures in the low 60s. The warmest of the soil temperatures over southeast Nebraska and central and east Kansas in the mid to upper 60s. Weather factors driving market trade include a mixed rain pattern in the Midwest and a stormy trend for the southern plains the next few days. Back-to-back storms will cross the west and central U.S. to maintain rainy weather. Cooler weather also accompanying those systems. Fuel work delays, but with beneficial moisture, will be found in the northern plains and western Midwest. The eastern Midwest will catch up on their planting with some drier weather. Storms in the southern plains the next few days will help out with soil moisture, but there will be a threat to crops from hail and high wind. Colder temperatures Saturday morning will need to be watched for maybe a freeze threat. Western Kansas forecasts to see temperatures as cool as 36 by Saturday morning. Wet conditions in the Canadian prairies slowly is slowing their harvest of last year's crop and planting this year's crop. Drier conditions expected this week. That drying, though, will be slowed by cooler air. 
In Brazil, production estimates continue to be increased as more rain falls in central crop areas as the corn fills. Rain in Argentina this week will cause some harvest disruptions, but keep their soil moisture well supplied for the winter wheat. Ag weather brought to you by Coleman Repair. Yesterday, I don't know, people get kind of a sixth sense about, you know, this kind of doesn't feel uh, like it's just a slightly warmer condition. We've got all this humidity, we've got this heating in the afternoon, and that really heats up that pressure cooker, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It, it just adds to the instability, and right now, uh, many areas seeing dew points into the 60s, especially as you head to the east. We're already into the low 80s as you head towards Omaha, and they're actually warmer than in some locations of the Oklahoma and Texas panhandles right now. So probably eastern Nebraska and central and east Kansas, definitely in a bullseye for this. Yep, I just got uh, this from the Omaha Valley uh, area where they're talking about damaging wind gusts up to 80 miles an hour. Yeah, wind out. And also the National Weather Service, pretty much we had a likely chance of thunderstorms in the forecast this morning. Later this morning, though, they pretty much did a, an across-the-board 20 percentage points higher on the rain chances for oh, tonight. Man. So it's looking pretty likely we're going to see some more rain for All tonight. Right. Stay with us. We'll keep you updated as uh, the conditions warrant. And when you need weather, of course, anytime. Um. agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. A plan producing inputs for the ethanol industry in Blair is expanding. Bruce Gorder has more. The expansion announcement at Novozymes, a facility dedicated to producing enzymes for ethanol production, comes as great news for Nebraska's economy, according to Governor Pete Ricketts. It's also great news for the biosciences and the biofuse industry. Obviously, Iowa I hate to admit this, but Iowa is the number one producing ethanol state. Nebraska is number two. But this is a great commitment to that industry that will help our ethanol industry in both states be able to expand as well. And so that's a great commitment to the industry. And and that bioscience industry in Nebraska employs about 16,000 people and over 1,000 companies. And so, again, when we can expand one of our great industries here in the state, it helps us create that jobs that economic opportunity for people to be able to take care of their families, send their kids to school, be able to go on that vacation. This is how we grow Nebraska and why we grow Nebraska, to create that opportunity for our families here in the state. The announcement was made this morning at the facility in Blair. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. With the weekly crop progress report being released yesterday afternoon, sugar beet planting took a jump. Brad Ripley, USDA meteorologist, has the latest on sugar beet planting progress. Taking a look at the previously delayed sugar beet planting, that with all the other crops like corn and soybeans caught up in a big hurry. Overall now sugar beet planting nearly complete at 96%, five-year average 81% last year. Also a quick planting year at 97%. And a lot of the progress that was made up in the last week was in Michigan finally drying out enough for planting and jumping from 48 to 93 percent of the sugar beets planted just in one week. And after several months of examining budgets and learning from other states, the Kansas 4-H will implement a $15 program fee for participants beginning on October 2nd. The Kansas 4-H fee will be required when annual enrollment enrollment begins. Families that cannot afford the participation fee may 
request a waiver at the time of enrollment. Clubs and sponsors may also pay fees for use, and the Kansas 4-H Foundation has also committed to raising funds specifically for program fee waivers to ensure that every young person in the state can have access to high-quality 4-H programs. Sustaining and growing Kansas 4-H has become more difficult as the state budget for shortfalls add to the gap between revenue for the program and what is needed to sustain it and work towards becoming a nationally recognized high-quality program. The decision to implement the fee came after a task force representing all regions in the state conducted a series of statewide surveys and solicited suggestions and feedback. U.S. Senator Jerry Moran from Kansas this week joined Senate colleagues in sending a letter to the U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer stressing the positive economic impact of NAFTA and the administration considers taking a fresh look at the agreement. The letter was led also by Senator Deb Fisher of Nebraska. The letter says, and I quote, given the agreement is more than two decades old, there are areas in which NAFTA will benefit from strengthening and modernizing. On the other hand, efforts to abandon the agreement or impose unnecessary restrictions on trade with our North American partners will have devastating economic consequences, they wrote in that letter. More information about all these topics and more can be found by visiting RollRadio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. What to consider as you make equipment decisions. That's our topic again with Jason Ladman, Director with Water Street Solutions. This is something we talked about last week, so let's continue that discussion on buying versus leasing equipment. Jason? Yeah, last week we started talking about that decision as it has been a frequent topic these last six months amongst our client base. And that is, should I lease or buy this piece of equipment? So I'd like to get into some more detail around the factors you can consider as you evaluate individual leases. Once you've worked through the types of questions we discussed last week and your farm isn't dealing with working capital or equity issues that make it clear that leasing or buying would be better, then it's all about analyzing and evaluating the details of the lease. At this time, you'll also want to determine the right amount for a potential down payment if you are considering a purchase and that's still in the running. So to help stay on track, Remember to keep returning to the basics, and the basics are the core of why you're considering the decision. And along the way, I would encourage everyone listening to place confidence in your farm numbers to help you make these important types of decisions. Jason, how can we dig deeper into that decision? Well, one way is to ask yourself a few more questions, and those being, why are we deciding to get this piece of equipment? So what need does it fulfill for our operation today, and what will it allow us to do that we couldn't do before? And does this piece of equipment reduce our need for labor in any way? And do we pick up any level of efficiency by including this piece? And next comes the financial evaluation of whether to lease or purchase this equipment. And as you're evaluating, you need to consider what tax advantages you gain or lose by leasing or purchasing. Now, one item to consider, if the farm isn't in the best financial shape right now, you may be interested in keeping the equipment off your balance sheet as buying a new piece of machinery will impact your equity. And if that's what you're facing, it may make sense to choose a lease, but it needs to be the right lease. And you can only figure that out by digging in and asking a lot of questions to get an understanding of what the particular lease is and isn't offering you. And I think many leases have started to become more aggressively competitive in the the last few months and in the last few years. So there are good ones out there. However, not all of them are as great as they may appear to be first at first glance, so you need to analyze these leases carefully. 
We're talking with Jason Ladman of Water Street Solutions. What are some ways to get that analysis going? Well, the best thing to do is to work hard to fully understand the lease and its terms with the help of an ag finance advisor or somebody that's not tied closely to the farm. If this lease does seem to stand on its own merits, you need to evaluate an even more important question, and that is, does this lease and its terms make sense for our farm's needs and our situation right now? So here are a few questions you and your ag finance advisor can use to dig into the lease's details. How many hours does the lease allow? What are the charges for overage? For example, if the lease allows 300 hours on the tractor, how much would you pay for each hour used beyond that? What is the lease's warranty like? Is it a powertrain warranty? And what will it cover for repairs? And what won't it cover? And what would repairs be like on a purchase piece of equipment in comparison to the repairs that a lease would cover? What repairs would be less on the lease than if you were to purchase this piece of equipment? Do you want to eventually purchase the equipment or simply lease it for a few years? Does the lease have a buyout option at the end? And if so, what's the final balloon payment? Having a clear analysis and the right data at your fingertips can help you when you're making an important decision like, like whether to lease or buy this equipment. And if you know this is something you will be considering this summer or fall, I wouldn't wait to start the evaluation process till then. I'd start today. So let us know if one of our ag finance specialists can assist you in this area. For more help, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, it's certainly a busy week for high school sports across the region. District golf is wrapping up today, while the NSAA state track meet is scheduled for this weekend in Omaha, and tennis tournaments get underway later on this week. Now, due to expected thunderstorms in the Omaha area tonight, the girls' state soccer tournament has been pushed back a day. Those championship games will now take place at the same times, but will be played tomorrow night. Now, Creighton Pratt beat Westside 1-0 for the Class A Boys State title last night. And in Class B, Elkhorn South wrapped up an undefeated season as they held off South Sioux City 3-2 in overtime. Well, Concordia won its first game at the NAIA Baseball Tournament yesterday, knocking off the University of Jamestown 8-7. That's before they lost their second game of the tournament, 19-8 to Clark University from Iowa. Concordia will play in an elimination game tonight at 6. And it was not a good start to the National Softball Tournament for Hastings College as they fell to Davenport University, losing 10-1 to in five innings. They'll try again this afternoon in an elimination game, which should start around 6. After just one year in charge of the Hastings College wrestling program, Mike Shadwinkle has stepped down. This past year, the Broncos had one of their best seasons in school history, finishing third in the GPAC standings. The school says the search to replace him will begin immediately. The sputtering Chicago Cubs try to get back on track tonight when they host Cincinnati to open up a Big Ten game homestand. World Series champions have dropped seven of nine, including two out of three to St. Louis to wrap up their most recent road trip. After trailing only the Red Sox and Rockies in runs last year, Chicago ranks 13th in the majors this year. Kansas City starts a big series at home tonight against New York. The Royals have started to play better. They've won six out of the last seven. Golden State Warriors won't have to deal with Kawhi Leonard when they host Game 2 of the NBA's Western Conference Finals against San Antonio this evening. Spurs coach Greg Popovich says his top scorer won't play after aggravating his sprained left ankle during the second half of Sunday's 113-111 loss to the Warriors. And in tennis, Roger Federer says he will not play in the French Open. 
In a message posted on his website, Federer says he will prepare to play on grass and hard courts later on the season. According to his agent, who confirmed that the 18-time Grand Slam champion won't compete at this year's second major tournament, which starts in Paris on May 28. And with his Notre Dame buyout finally complete, former head coach Charlie Weiss, including his buyout from Kansas, ended up being paid $64.5 million between those two schools for an overall record of 41-49 and while he tried to lead the Irish and the Jayhawks back to the promised land. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More middays just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Thunderstorms are likely again tonight for areas of central and western Nebraska, as well as the east. Also some fog. I'm Dave Schroeder. A 29-year-old man has been given 24 months of probation for the crash death of an Alliance woman. Court records say Trevor Trickobe of Baird was sentenced Monday. The Nebraska State Patrol says 68-year-old Barbara Fritzler was fatally injured October 18th of last year while waiting for a pilot car at a construction site on U.S. Highway 26, about a mile and a half east of Minotaur. The patrol says Tickrobe's pickup truck rammed into the rear of Fritzler's car, knocking it into a vehicle ahead of hers. Three years ago, Gary Flint of Lexington was near death because of a heart condition, and doctors told him he would not survive without a transplant. But today he continues to live thanks to a 16-year-old Iowa boy who decided to be a donor. On Sunday, Mother's Day, Gary Flint met Anna Hutt of Clorinda, Iowa, the mother of Peyton Castile, the heart donor at Nebraska Medicine in Omaha. Peyton died in a motorbike accident. Because of Peyton, Gary Flint has a new lease on life. You look at life differently. You know, you take every day as it comes, and and you respect life and people, and you don't let try to get caught up in this everyday rush, rush. You know, uh, it's there's you know there's more of a meaning to life. On Sunday, Anna Hutt was able to hear her son's heart beating inside Flint. Meanwhile, Flint considers himself blessed to be able to have a second chance at life. Kind of a double-edged sword. I'm talking about how good I failed, how great it is to be alive. And, and at the same time, this young boy gave his life so that I can go on with life. You know, it's, it's, just, it, it's tough some days to wrap your head around all that. Flint told Anna Hutt he was honored to meet her on Mother's Day and told her it's because of her son that he's alive. Flint says that he and Peyton's mother plan to continue to stay in touch. The Kansas Attorney General's office has seized patient records from a closed nursing home after suing the owners. The suit filed last week in Allen County stems from the closure of the Pinecrest Nursing Home in the southeast Kansas town of Humboldt. The lawsuit alleges that there have been no efforts to secure or properly dispose. The building where they are stored ceased being occupied in 2011. Get the latest forecasts and live severe weather reporting around the clock on KRVN and KRVN.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Even with everything going on in Washington, D.C., agriculture isn't going to be put on the back burner. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. That's the feelings of Congressman Mike Conaway from Texas. And it starts with the Farm Bill. On the Farm Bill, committed to getting it done on time, 
uh, or ahead of time and uh, hadn't been done in 16 years. We're laying the groundwork to making that happen. Um, talking with leadership, we want to have our version uh, on the floor uh, maybe late fourth quarter, early first quarter of next year so that we get plenty of time for the Senate to get their version done. We get it conference, get it passed, signed by the president, ready to go um, on uh, on October 1 of 18 when it uh, when the current one uh, expires. Uh, the question of separating the, uh, the nutrition title from everything else comes up from time to time. I'm agnostic. Uh, I'm going to get them both reauthorized on time. And if the path of least resistance is together, great. If the path of least resistance is apart, great. Uh, the problem is the only people I hear talking about separating are those who either want to kill the SNAP program or kill everything else. It's in there and they think by separating they can divide and conquer. And I'm decidedly uninterested in that line of logic because we're going to get them both done uh, moving forward. We're going to harvest the two years' worth of work we did on SNAP, uh, the, the great work that Jackie Walorski did, uh, those 16 hearings, two more hearings since then, to provide meaningful reforms to uh, the SNAP program. I brought in, asked the, uh, the food groups to come in about a month ago to see if there's something we can do together that uh, they would agree on would make the program better we could agree on. It's a starting point. I asked them to look at that uh, our white paper that we published in December the areas of concern. If they had some solutions to those areas that uh, they would think work, they would love to work with them to try to create uh, some common ground that we could work with. There will be things we disagree with, no doubt about that, but there ought to be some things that we can agree on, and if there are, that we can make that uh, that process uh, move forward. Uh, deeply disappointed that the cotton and dairy issues were not addressed properly and fixed in the, uh, the omnibus bill. Uh, classic example of uh, the Senate doing what the Senate does, in particular Debbie Stabenow, Pat Leahy. Um, they're reckless with the way they've treated cotton producers and the dairymen in this country. It's unfortunate the way they went at it, but I think they intended it for to fail, and it did. And so now we have cotton producers and dairymen out there uh, still struggling with the circumstances they had, and we had a great opportunity to fix uh, both of them. And um, the Senate uh, politics, or whatever you want to say, the stabbing down that he did um, for why they did it, uh, she may be on record as saying that she did it in order to maintain leverage against Colin and I in the next farm bill. And that's a pretty poor reason to do something that affects the number of people it does. Good people that are out there trying to cope with what we've got going on. So I'm really uh, deeply disappointed we didn't get that fixed. We thought we had it done. And then, of course... Senators being what they do, they come in at the last second, um, pit one, one industry or one commodity against the other, which is a terrible thing to do, if you, unless you want it to fail, and uh, that's what happened. Uh, Cotton's fix worked on for months by all the, by the folks. It was self-contained, but then the money that was already provided for the cotton is, uh, is a part of the, uh, their uh, crop insurance and tax program, and then to come in and try to glom on to some of that for dairy was... Uh, a system we just shouldn't have happened but it did and i'm disappointed and uh but we're going to move forward we're going to get our deal done and uh and, uh, and move it forward so as a congressman spoke to farm broadcasters he was asked about the tension over this cotton dairy issue and would they be able to work together with those on the senate side and, uh, Peterson and I are shoulder to shoulder on this deal. We're not going to let the Senate play us like this constantly. We're just not going to do it. And so however we can make that happen, um, this isn't personal. This is just business. And our business is to get the farm bill done, uh, get these issues addressed quicker than, than, than later, and uh, we're going to keep going forward. So I, uh, you know, I don't know I, whether it has an effect on what, how Stabenow reacts, how Mr. Leahy acts. I don't know. Can't tell you. The other thing I don't know is how the, her being on, on the ballot at 18 
affects it. She has seven, she has seven of her colleagues on House on Senate Act, I think are up for re-election. Does that help or hurt? Don't know. Uh, we'll see. Nobody can answer that. I don't even think they can answer that. So a lot of variables out there, but uh, we understand the, the game they play, and we're going to work really hard to try to not let them do that. And when it comes to crop insurance, Congressman Conway says he doesn't want to get rid of it because it affects more than just the producer. The top 20% of the economic food chain in America spend more on food than the bottom 20% makes. Think about that. All right, so I'm not too worried about that top 20%, whatever it is they're paying for their food. I'm really worried about the folks in the bottom half of the food chain because they're living paycheck to paycheck. Their food budget is where they flex. The rent doesn't change, house payment doesn't change, car payment doesn't change. So if something comes up during the month, that mom has to decide between the food budget and paying whatever that unexpected expense was. I do not want to do anything that makes causes her food costs to go up and makes her job of feeding her family any harder. So you strip out the crop insurance, you strip out all the other programs, and the cost of food in America will go up. The folks at the top, the Ron Kynes, me, and everybody else, we don't affect it. You could add a couple thousand dollars a year to our food costs and we wouldn't notice it. But those folks at the bottom will notice it right off the bat. And I'm not going to be a part of raising the cost of their food if I could possibly help it. So that's the people I'm focused on. And, and crop insurance is a, is a must-have issue for uh, production agriculture to continue to deliver that uh, affordable food supply. Comments coming from Congressman Mike Conway from the state of Texas. That's a look to your agricultural news as work will continue behind the scenes on the 2018 Farm Bill. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Wasn't that long ago we had lower hog prices daily and higher cash and livestock uh, cattle futures. Today is not one of those days. No, it's uh, <clears throat> the roles have been reversed here this uh, specifically this week. <clears throat> it's two days in a row now that we've had uh, lower cattle and higher hogs, and the volatility still there. We had some pretty good ranges in the uh, cattle today and the feeders. Uh, actually, for that matter, pretty good ranges in the hogs. So uh, volatility still very present in the uh, livestock futures. Uh, over in the cattle, uh, started lower, attempted to rally a couple times, kept failing, and then uh, dropped down to make our lows, and then came back uh, fairly nicely. And I look like uh, it appeared that most of it might be uh, short covering at this point, because we've had a pretty hard down once again, and down near uh, recent lows. So that, uh, I think, prompted uh, some covering up. We're still pretty well discounted in the last cash trade. Haven't heard of any today. Uh, uh, cutouts a little bit higher once again, but the uh, uh, volume in the boxes is still fairly light. So uh, uh, another uh, another day. The feeders under a lot of pressure uh, during the day. We managed to come back some too. Now over in the hogs, cash still leading the way uh, or giving the momentum to the futures to lead the way. Uh, this cash continues to be firm. Cutouts still higher. And uh, we are uh, had some triple-digit gains in the first two months. So pretty good day in the hogs, not so much in the cattle. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Dewey Nelson reporting. For many, Mother Nature's made spring planting a bit on the rough side. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. David Schleich is an agronomist with Golden Harvest, and he and I caught up about the interesting times of this year's planting season. 
Yeah, Susan. So we we've had a number of things. I mean, of course, everybody knows that um, that we had a, a rough patch of weather there uh, a few weeks ago, where uh, we got some cold rains that um, w- wouldn't be uh, normal for this time of year. So we did go through a window of that. So so yeah, a person definitely wants to be out there, you know, looking at things right now. Um, you know, the corn's up. We're starting to get um, two to three leaves on some of it, maybe even a little more, uh, depending on where you're at. And it's definitely a good time to get out there and, you know, take a look at your corn crop, take a look at the stand and see what's going on. And it's one of those things, I've been in a number of fields where you can drive by from the road and things might look perfect. But of course, we want to encourage growers to, you know, get out of the truck, walk out in there and uh, and see exactly what, you're, what you have going on. So some of the things that uh, I have seen um, is that really we, we made it through that cold, wet weather pretty good um probably better than maybe we thought um but some of the impact we have seen from it has probably been crusting more than anything and and then some of those issues um some of those instances we've had had uh areas where the corn can't get through the, the crust and we're losing some stand due to that um so a person definitely wants to get out and see where you're at from uh from a standpoint uh would encourage growers um you know you want to measure off one one thousandth of an acre um, so if you're in 30 inch rows, that'd be 17 and a half feet and count the number of plants in that 17 and a half feet and then take it back by a thousand, um, to get a, a handle on, on where your stand is sitting. And then of course you'll want to know what you dropped originally. And you want to do that in multiple areas, uh, across the field to, to know where you're at from the stand, uh, standpoint. And, uh, depending on, um, you know, what you had going out there, you, you know, you might not quite have, um, uh, what you originally, um, planted. So person, that's, that's really the first step is to determine where you're at from a stand standpoint. Well, and you talked about the importance of scouting those fields. And I think, you know, the guys are wanting so bad to just get, get this crop in the ground and then focus on it. But they do need to take some time to get off those tractors and walk into the fields. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, as we um, you know, get ourselves, um, as, the, as the calendar keeps going by, if you have places where, you know, maybe you need to think about a potential replant, and I don't anticipate a lot of those, but, you know, you'll want to know beforehand um, sooner rather than later uh, because as you get further out in the calendar, your ability to replant or really the economics of that replanting uh, keep diminishing. So you definitely want to take the time uh, to go out there and see where you're at. And it's also a good time um, to evaluate for next year because um, this is really the time to see any of those planter skips, planter doubles, Maybe you had places where you weren't getting the seed furrow closed properly. You know, anything you had from a planter standpoint, um, you'll want to note now so you can remedy those problems next year. And, you know, it's easier to, to evaluate those when the corn is smaller versus than later. Is there any concerns? We kind of had a pretty mild winter. Yeah, we have been seeing it a few places. Um, generally, um, you know, the, we see three insect concerns really, and that'd be wireworm, um, cutworm, and a white grub. Those comments coming from Golden Harvest Agronomist David Schlake. Of course, he encourages you to get out, scout the fields, and if you have questions, get with your local agronomist. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And in the grains trade today, we saw soybeans rally into the close. Meanwhile, that kind of pulled up a little bit the corn and Chicago wheat. 
We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So this rally in soybeans was uh, rather significant to the market. Yeah, that was a nice move there in the close. July, finally getting some legs over over November. We've been pretty much trading in lockstep, uh, only going back to the last USDA report. And uh, you think a market that's going to get bullish needs to see that July rally, and today it did, closing up almost 11 cents. So that spreads now a dime between the new crop and the old to the inversion, and that, that spells some demand here. And um, Word this morning, we got a sale from China, or unknown, but we'll, we'll call that China, uh, along with a couple other cargoes that were priced as well. Uh, sounds to me, you know, Brazil, the prices are cheap down there, and you know, much cheaper than they were, say, in Q1 of 2016. When you recall, U.S. product, I think, was trading somewhere in the high eights. They were actually more expensive then than they are today when we're trading at 960, and, and they're down around 7 and some change when you've thrown the, the currency conversion. So uh, at this point, you know, the low prices down there are, are working to keep product off the shelves and uh, in, in storage. And up here, we have product for sale. And even with a, a poor crush yesterday, uh, to see that meal lead uh, into the close there, I, I think we could have a move here back up to $10, at least in the old crowd. And what's your assessment of the wheat trade today, given the fact that uh, Chicago gained on Kansas City? Uh, well, I think the harvest is starting in the most southern parts of the hard red, red country. So Texas, I should have probably known this. I have some, some elevators who hedge through me. They do everything on their own, but I can see their positions, and they were coming in short and hard on Sunday night. Um, and these aren't speculative positions. These are just simply sales being made. So I'm not sure if they're new crop or old crop sales, but did see quite a bit of contract move, movement at that, that time, and really we've seen continued follow-through here. I would have liked to have seen that close a little better, uh, Kansas City. Um, feel like we're, we're at a level where I would maybe want to jump in and buy, but I, I, my hand has been burnt by that stove too many times. So I'll just sit and watch, and hopefully it does rally. I'd like to see, see some of these guys get a little better in 420 as they, they bring it in. And, again, the same old story for corn. Yeah, same story. Do we? Well, someday we'll call, we'll talk and we won't be around 370. You know, when that day comes, we'll be excited uh, at this point. You know, I think the temperature's forward a little bit concerning. It's going to be cool here, especially in the northern part of the Midwest, and then we're going to get some more rain. But uh, as of right now, you hear that rain makes grain. I don't know if you've heard that before or not. Oh, gee, never. <laughs> Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.